Why don't you take your uh, Bibles and open them to Genesis chapter 11, put a marker there in Genesis chapter 11, and then uh, go over to Psalm 133. So Genesis chapter 11, and we have talked uh, extensively, I believe, the last few weeks about the importance of the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, so we're going to... We're going to look at Genesis chapter 11, but Psalm 133 is where I want to start this morning. I do want to thank my wife publicly for all the hard work she puts into finding a venue and dealing with uh, the catering people and the food. I do think yesterday's event was very, very nice, and uh, I had nothing to do with it. Just married the right person, so... Uh, but, uh, yeah, but uh, it was, it was, I thought it was wonderful. Psalm 133, I just want to read this one verse, verse number one, it's three verses long, but I want to read just verse number one, it says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. A couple interesting things about that verse, look how that verse ends, it ends with an exclamation point. There's so much irony in the world. That this verse dealing with unity ends with an exclamation point. And let me just tell you this. It's hard to find unity in this world. You know there's 275 verses in the Bible that end with an exclamation point. There's 31,102 verses in the whole King James Bible. 275 end with an exclamation point. We don't even have unity that we can even use the exclamation point. We just got done with a Bible conference. There's all these people out there that say, well, the exclamation point's not in Hebrew. No, but it's in the King James Bible. Well, the exclamation point, they didn't have that punctuation in Greek. It's in the King James Bible. It's because we don't have the same words they have with the same emphasis, and so they thought it was necessary to end with an exclamation point. On a verse on unity, there's so much disunity. In the world. I mean, this whole worldwide unity, that seems like a laughable goal. You know, and, and we don't even have unity in our churches individually, amongst ourselves sometimes. But that's what I want to talk about this morning is unity. Paul tells us in the book of Ephesus, and we'll look at it. I'm sorry, Ephesians uh, from Ephesus. Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians that unity is necessary. It's absolutely necessary. But if we unite in error, which is what we're going to look at this morning, then failure is certain if we unite in error. And so that's the principle we're going to look at this morning. Go to uh, Genesis chapter 11. By the way, now that I pointed out exclamation points, you're going to be doing your Bible reading, and you're going to be finding them. But 275, in fact, if you go to, uh, on your own time, go to Romans chapter 11, verse 33, there's two exclamation points in one verse. And so, uh, uh, because the verse is two sentences long. But uh, Paul, he got excited about some things. And then people are like, well, how come when they say, God forbid, you don't get excited and put an exclamation point? Because that's not what he's saying. He's saying, God forbid that to happen. Not God forbid, like someone would say that blasphemously. So, you'll find exclamation points in your Bible reading every day. But less than 1% of the verses in the Bible have an exclamation point. That part's free. Let's read Genesis chapter 11. I want to read the first nine verses. And I want you to think about unity and how important it is, but how wrong it is to unify around the wrong thing. Verse number 1, Genesis chapter 11. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them. 
thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime they had for mortar. And they said, go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. And this they began to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of the earth. So let's just get started. We can understand by backing up to Genesis chapter 10, the founder of this city was a a man named Nimrod. Go back a couple pages, Genesis chapter 10. Look at verse number one. It says, now these are the generations of the sons of Noah. So we have Noah, then we have his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and unto them were sons born after the flood. Look down at verse number six of chapter 10. And the sons of Ham, Cush, and Mizram, and Phut, and Canaan, and the sons of Cush, Seba, and then the rest of them. And I want you to see that. And then verse number 8, And Cush begot Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, I'm sorry, wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod the mighty hunter before the Lord. So what I want you to understand is, is Noah had a grandson, The grandson's name was Cush. Noah had a great-grandson whose name was Nimrod. I think if we have grandchildren in here or great-grandchildren, Nimrod would not be one that we wanted to have. Nimrod was a mighty man when it comes to the views of mankind. In fact, his name means we shall rebel. That's what his name means. And so we see Noah's great-grandson started this city that we read about in chapter 11. And there's a number of fascinating explanations as to why they built this particular city. Uh, I love reading Jewish commentary, and, and there's been some rabbis for the last several hundred years that have taught in their schools different reasons for why they were building this city. And I just find it fascinating. In fact, they said that when when God scattered the people, they scattered them into 70 different groups. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't give the name 70, but that's just what the certain school of rabbis taught. And I, I thought it'd be interesting to share with you what some of them taught. None of these are from the Word of God. These are from the Word of rabbis. So just keep that in mind. But one rabbi taught in his school that the people built a tower with the intention of piercing heaven and uh, and they were going to invade heaven with their axes. I mean, this is straight from his teaching to drain all the water that was held therein, making it impossible for God to bring another flood should they vex him again. That's what was taught, and that you know perhaps that's meant uh, to be some kind of understanding of science and, and advancement in society, that they, they knew that they had axes, they knew that rain came from heaven, and so that's what they wanted to do. I find that really fascinating. Another rabbi taught in his school, now this, this was four or five hundred years ago, that there was actually three people groups 
there in that city, one group wanted to build a tower just so they can safely get out of the way in case there was another flood. One group wanted to build a tower as a shrine for idol worship. And another group wanted to build a tower uh, to actually be a platform in which they battled God from. So we're kind of getting this idea that there's these people and they're against God. That's what was being taught. This is just amazing to me. Uh, one rabbi, he lived in, now listen, he lived in the 13th and the 14th century. That's the 1200s and the 1300s. He said, this is what he taught. I mean, this was, this was, you know, a long time ago. This was before Christopher Columbus. This was before Benjamin Franklin. He taught, his explanation was that the people have actually been creating the first lightning rod. This was before, Amer- I mean, that's just a long time ago. But the tower was a lightning rod because they knew that God promised that he wouldn't destroy the earth with a flood. So their only rational explanation would be next, he would destroy it with fire, and fire would come from lightning. Now that was several hundred years before Benjamin Franklin and the whole kite key lightning thing, that's what this rabbi was teaching. Well, let me just tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says it was built to make a name for themselves, which means for their own glory, and it was built to avoid being scattered over the earth. That's what the people wanted to do. Now what's interesting here is when we see that they want to make a name for themselves, if you think back to Genesis chapter 6, it said that the world was populated with men of renown which were men who wanted to make a name for themselves. So it does sound like sin nature, of course, has returned and man's desire to rebel against the will of God is present once again. So let's kind of get into this story as we understand this. Because God told them in Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, God told them to scatter out and to fill the earth. Actually, let's look at that. Look at Genesis chapter 9. Let's just make sure that we understand. This is what they're rebelling against. Genesis chapter 9, verse number 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Not replenish just regionally. Scatter out. Replenish the earth. Verse number 2. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon the, every fowl of the air, upon them that move upon the earth and upon all the fishes of the sea. Into your hand are they delivered so here's what happens because the fear of man was on these animals that's why little stray kitty cats don't come to us anymore they run from us and make us mad and sad but that's why because genesis chapter 9 verse 2 but because the fear of man was now on animals guess what the animals did the animals scattered guess what man did man congregated okay and so that's kind of where we're at right now in this lesson so let's look at verse number 2 genesis chapter 11 verse number 2 I think this is interesting. It says, and came to pass is as they journeyed from the east. So let's think about that. If they journeyed from the east, that means they turned their backs to the sun. Now say that to yourself quietly. They turned their backs from the sun. Now think about that as S-O-N, because that's what men do. That's what men do. That's what, I mean, this is amazing that the Bible says this, that they journeyed from the east. That means they've already turned their backs from the S-U-N, but we can see that they're turning their backs and they're totally rebelling from God. And then it says this. It says that they found a plain. Now, don't you think it's interesting that here in church culture, we want to do everything possible to live on top of a mountain? live on God's mountaintops. Do we not? 
We try to position our lives and position our relationships to be on the mountaintop, exactly where God wants us to be. Sinful man turned their back to the sun and dwelt in the plain. Now, I believe that they were not trying to pierce heaven, I believe, because, I mean, if they're down here, there's got to be a smart guy that says, hey, Nimrod, which sounds like a terrible thing to say, but he says, hey, Nimrod, if you built it up there, we would be closer and we wouldn't have to build it as high. But Nimrod's, I don't think, I don't think they were trying to actually pierce heaven and, and attack it with axes and drain it from the water because they built in a plain. They didn't build it in one of the mountains around the plain. But sinful man likes to dwell in that plain. So there's a, lot of, there's a lot of truth to what we're reading that's what's going on here. And I find that fascinating that they do that. And then in verse number 3, this is just phenomenal to me. In verse number 3 it says, And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. Do not, and I tried to express this last week, do not fall for this ignorant caveman mentality. These, they had kilns. And bricks. Now you would think that maybe they would have this adobe style house, you know, where they just took mud and slapped it on some kind of wooden, you know, hut shaped thing. No, no, they had bricks and they fired the bricks and they built with the bricks. I mean, this is some advanced technology going on. They were not. I mean, there's any kind of imagery that you have is some struggling man who discovered fire and just like, oh, no, these were men that, that, that understood that burning hardens things. And not only that, it says not only do they have bricks, but that they had slime for their mortar. Now, again, and I've said this before, but this slime was waterproofing. I do believe that they did not trust what God said. They built a tower so that they could not be separated. They built a tower so they could make a name for themselves. But this slime, it's the same slime that Moses' mother put in his little raft. It's the same slime that Noah would put on the inside of the ark to waterproof it. That's what this means when it says this. But these men are advanced and rebellious. And that is a very dangerous combination. Let me just say that. Because they did not trust the promises of God to never destroy the earth. So they were making this to be a protection. But more, or, more over, their attitudes were in direct conflict with this humble spirit that God is seeking. They're wanting their own glory. I mean, that is exactly what they say in verse number four. Let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make a name lest we be scattered abroad the face of the earth. That is not the attitude that God is looking for. Absolutely not. And God, every time, will frustrate the unity when it is assembled around error. And that's what he does. And I'm going to use the word frustrated because if you're ever talking to someone who doesn't speak your same language, it makes you wish you took a different class in school. But it's frustrating. And God frustrated their efforts. Now, I will tell you this. This is a real story. I have often said Genesis chapter 1 through Genesis chapter 11 explains everything that we see in the world today. And it certainly does. Because what we see now is we have people like uh, 
There was a Greek historian named Strabo. He lived from 64 B.C. to 24 A.D. He traveled around the ancient world, and he actually saw the Egyptian pyramids, and he actually saw the remnants of the Tower of Babel. He said the Tower of Babel was 200 feet taller than the pyramids were at that time. There was a road that zigzagged uh, around the Tower of Babel that was so wide that two chariots could pass. And we, we see this same description when we're talking about walls around cities, but chariots could pass each other, or wagons, I should say, could pass each other, and they could actually turn around on the road. This, this thing was monstrous. In fact, it is recorded that Alexander the Great said when he was done, uh, uh, when he was done conquering the Persians that he planned to rebuild the tower because he knew about it because it's real. Not only him, but Nebuchadnezzar is recorded to wanting to do the same thing. And even more fascinating, Saddam Hussein also said that he wanted to rebuild the Tower of Babel. This is an achievement they wanted to do. And when he said it, no one said, that Bible myth? Everyone said, yeah. That's real. If we had someone say that today, they would be like, this man believes in stories. No. It's a real structure that was really constructed and the archaeological uh, references and evidence of it are real. Now, one interesting fact, you would think if this story is true, where it says that God frustrated them and then he scattered them, if this story was true, then cultures around the world would have something like this in their lore. You'd think that, right? If this was true, just so happens, that's the truth. And I'm just going to pick three of them because there's a thousand cultures in the world. Guatemala, do you know where Guatemala is? If you don't know where Guatemala is, if you know where the Yucatan Peninsula is in Mexico, you go straight south in Central America there is Guatemala. In Guatemala, they have a people group there called the Quiches. Now, the Quiches, they told of a time in their writings, and you can read this if you want, where tribes were multiplied and they left their old homes to go to a place called Tulan in their language. That's what it means. And here in Tulan, all the languages of the tribes changed and the people then sought new homes associated with the people that spoke their language. So what we see here, because the reason they did that is because they couldn't understand their tribe members anymore. So in Guatemala, we have a story where people were gathered in one place their languages were confused, and then they were spread to new places. I mean, that, that's got some, some Bible in it. You know, I mean, their stories might have changed a little bit, but, but it, it's got some Bible in it. Well, okay, how about in India? I mean, everyone knows where India is, I hope. Well, in the northeastern part of India, there's a tribe of the Mikri. The Mikri tribe in India tells of these descendants of a man named Ram, who... These men were very strong men, and they were growing dissatisfied with earth. And so they aspired to conquer heaven, because earth was boring to them. And so they begin to build a tower to go conquer heaven. Here's what their writing says, as it's translated in English. Higher and higher rose the building, till at last the gods and demons feared, lest these giants should become the masters of heaven, as they already were of the earth. So what did the gods and demons do? The gods and demons confounded their speech, scattered them to the four corners of the world, and then from there arose all the 
tongues known to mankind. So in India, we have a story where they desired to make themselves famous. They had a tower to the heavens. Gods intervened. Their languages were confused. And people were scattered around the world. Okay, so we have one in Guatemala. We have one in, in-, in India. That's, that's, that's some pretty big spread geographically. Well, if you go to Polynesia, and so you're like, well, I don't know where Polynesia is. Well, if you know where Australia is and you know where Hawaii is, there's some uh, Polynesian group of islands basically in between Australia and Hawaii. So right in the middle of the Pacific Ocean are these group of islands called the Polynesian Islands. And so there's an island of Hale. And the island of Hale say that they, they, this is what they teach to their children. There was a man named Rata. And Rata, he had three sons, and they survived a great flood. Then they made an attempt to erect a building which they could reach the sky, quote-unquote, and see their creator, Vatai. But the god, in anger, chased the builders away, broke down the building, and changed their languages so they spoke diverse tongues. So here in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, we have a culture that teaches that had a man with three sons who survived a flood. They tried to build a structure into heaven. The gods thwarted their efforts and languages changed. All around the world, and that's just three because those are easy and I don't want to bore you with on and on and on. But all around the world, there are cultures that have a story that, uh, how, how do I want to say this? absolutely reinforces what we read as truth. Absolutely. And you can see that as people spread across the globe, they carried this story with them, as well as the culture and the architecture that they had experienced in that plane. Because the type of building with bricks is everywhere. The kiln is everywhere. The shape of the tower that you can read about, and the ziggurat is what it's called, and you can read about that on your own, is spread out around the world. And what we see is as they spread, their culture spread, there, there are common themes in every culture around the world and the common memory of the flood and the common memory that we used to have a common language. It bears, here's what I want to say, it bears testimony to the biblical account that that did happen. It's amazing. And the origin of the nations is found in the Word of God. Well, okay, besides being really fascinating, what does that matter, you know? I mean, the biblical account, though, of Babel here in the chapter 11, it explains some things and some questions and some problems that we have today. And I just want to briefly touch on these because it especially challenges certain evolutionary ideas. And instead of having this evolutionary idea, what Genesis chapter 11 does is it provides an explanation. So, I mean, that's what we want, right? You want to know why. Well, the explanation for diversity and languages is found right here. And people groups and the way people look is found right here. Let me explain. So diversity of languages, really fast. And this is perhaps the most obvious area explained by Babel, because we see that God frustrated them in the origin of various languages around the world. Now, think about this. Just, just kind of think about this. The evolutionary, so 
people who believe in Darwinism and evolving, the evolutionary worldview might expect all languages to trace back to one language, right? If they think that we came back and we, we came from a monkey that came from a chicken that came from a dinosaur that came from a grub that came from a parasite that crawled out of some ooze. That's what they, they think. Everything came back from one, right? That's what they, they think language all came back to one parent language. That's what evolutionaries teach. But that's not what the Bible says. Now, the Bible says they did have a common language. But if you are in a linguistic uh, person and a scientist, if you will, in, in language, what you find are language families of today trace back to multiple unrelated languages. Now, you would think, well, but that means the evolutionists were right. And the Bible, no, no, listen, God frustrated their language. He scattered them to speak all different languages. And those languages are unrelated to each other and are the parent of all languages spoke on earth today. So see, actually the evolutionists are wrong because God intervened. If God hadn't intervened and Genesis chapter 11 wasn't here, the evolutionists would be right. It all came back to one common language. But the Bible says God frustrated their language. He scattered them, gave them new tongues. And those languages now are the parent of all the languages we see today. So it's actually kind of opposite of what we would think. But it's exactly true with what Genesis chapter 11 says. Because he says in verse number 7, Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. And that sentence proves all the languages in the world are unrelated, which is exactly what science and linguistics teach. So that's pretty amazing if you think about it. Probably did a terrible job explaining it. But let's, let's think about this. Because if you study, you know, for time's sake, I can't really get too much into this. If you study all the people involved in Darwinism throughout the years and evolution and the story of man's origin, it is extremely uncomfortably racist. It literally implies, evolution literally implies that some people groups are more advanced than other people groups. That's what evolution is teaching. That's racist. If you think that you're better than another group of people, that's not right. I hope you understand that. And Everyone involved in Darwinism and evolution throughout history, all the vocals, all the big names, all the authors have really been involved in some sinister thoughts and ideas and actions. It can go back to Planned Parenthood. It can go back to abortion. It can go back to wherever you want to go. You trace anything that annihilates other people and there's a Darwinism and an evolutionary strand that lines up with it it's absolutely true okay but what does genesis chapter 11 the bible account tells us that all these people were descendants of noah and noah was a descendant of adam and adam was created in the image of god we have a problem today with racism because we have a problem with people not believing genesis chapter 11 
The first humans were special, direct creations of God. They're all the same. Everyone here is the same. So that leads us to the next question that a lot of people have. Well, let's look at verse number 8. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of, the, uh, face of all the earth, and he left off, and they left off to build the city. So this makes people ask, well, first of all, there's no basis for racism. I want you to understand that. Because all the people related, all the people were of one race, the human race, were equal, were all equally human. I hope everyone understands that. But then people say, okay, okay. What about physical differences? Yeah, there are some. Skin color, eye shape, the way hair grows. Absolutely. Who, who wouldn't agree with that? We look different. You know, we're not a melting pot. We're a crayon box. Whatever you want to say that's cute. Say whatever. We are different. Why are we different? Well, here's why. The explanation for these differences and the physical appearance is simple and it's just found in verse number 8, what I just read. As the groups spread out and separated from each other after Babel, their gene pools were largely isolated. Okay? If you can only hang out with this group of friends, your babies start looking like this group of friends. And they're isolated. And so what happens are gene pools now are isolated and physical features like skin color, eye shape, other characteristics. These are not defining features of race. These are just characteristics of humanity. And they're isolated in gene pools as God scattered people. And these distinctive features are still reflected in the diversity among groups today. We see that absolutely. And these distinct features are far, far from evidence of evolution. That has not, the way someone looks has nothing to do with evolution. It has to do with Genesis chapter 11, verse number 8. The Bible is right again. I mean, it's just people. People can form so much hate. So much... They say the cavemen are ignorant, but I don't know. I don't know. We're all the same. We're all the same race. That is exactly what the Bible says. One blood. So the takeaway is this. That if we seek to unite ourselves under the banner that is contrary to God's will, which is what we see right here, not only will we not have God's approval, but our efforts will be destined for failure. And that's what we see here. But there's also this takeaway that I I hope you do understand. The flip side, the other side of the coin, exactly what God admits and what God tells us. Look at verse number six. And the Lord said, behold, the people is one. True. They have all one language. And this they begin to do. What was he saying? They begin to do something I don't want them to do. You know what he's saying here? Go, go, to, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Here, here's the principle, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Go to the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. First Corinthians chapter 1, look at verse number 10. It says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. 
and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now look at verse number 12. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? What he's saying here is, listen, the people in Babel were of one language, and they were of one common drive, but the problem was that drive was contrary to God's will. God said, look what they can do. There's nothing they can't do if they're all speaking the same language and they all have the same drive. And I'm telling you what, for us, that should fire us up. That should say, listen, I don't want to be a man that makes a name for myself. I want to go in the same direction as everyone else for the glory of God because God's saying is what he said to those people. He said, listen, there's nothing they can't do if they all speak the same language. Here's what we learned last week. We all need to speak the same language. Our doctrine needs to be the same. Our drive needs to be the same. Our focus needs to be the same. Our banner needs to be the same. We need to unite under the will of God, which is opposite of what they did in Genesis chapter 11. And then if that happens, there's nothing we can't do. Go to Ephesians chapter 4 and I'll end right there. I mean, there's such a contrast of having one mind and one language which empowered the children of Babel versus not having one mind and being divided and crippling the church at Corinth. I mean, there, there... they, they should have met, we should have, we should have been, all be on the same page with this, is what Paul is telling them. Because if you're all on the same page, we're all, you know, there's a, in the corporate world, there's a book that teaches you this. You all need to be on the same bus heading in the same direction. And, and boy, that is true for any organization, any group of people. You need to be on the right seat on the bus. Not everyone can be the driver. Some people have to sit in the second row. Some people, but, the, but, 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 but the Bible says we're all a body. We can't all be the brain or the mouth or the tongue, but we're all important. Man, as long as you're on the bus, you're important. We all need to speak the same language. We need to have the common drive. In Ephesians chapter 4, the unity chapter, if you will, it says this in verse number 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherein ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness and long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Verse number three, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Skip down to verse number 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love. May we grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by Uh, by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, 
maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Listen, like I said and read in Psalm 133, oh, God wants unity. But he wants people to unify under his will. And when we do that, there is nothing we can't do. And so you're saying, well, how, you know, you heard Tim, some of you heard Tim yesterday talking about how these were right on the edge of some great things. What could keep that from happening? What could keep that from happening? We're not unified. If we have a different idea, if we have a different opinion, and I'm not saying that you're not allowed to have, but I'm just saying, listen, step back and say, is this the church where God wants me? Yes. Then I believe that God's will is for me to participate in the church that he wants me to be in. So I'm all in. I want to be unified. If we all speak the same language, if we all have the same tongue, the same drive, there's nothing we can't do. Let me just wrap up creation. Because like I said, Genesis chapter 1 through Genesis chapter 11, the last 23 lessons absolutely explain everything that we see on earth today. But there's one more lesson that I think that we need to know is that no one can win when they go against God. No one can win. I mean, it happened to Adam and Eve when they sinned. What happened? They were separated from God. We looked at that. Go back and listen to those lessons if you need to. Uh, What happened to Cain when he wanted to sacrifice his way? What happened to him? God did not accept him. What, what, what happened to the people living in Noah's time when they did not repent? They died in the flood. And what happened to those dwelling in the plain of Shinar that we looked at today? That They wanted to make a name for themselves. God frustrated them. He scattered them. And their efforts were just completely stopped. No one can win when they go against God. But you know what else we see in the first 11 chapters? Seth. Enoch. Noah, the grace of God, God working with people, God revealing himself to people, God showing people who he is and and how to love him and how to worship him and the blessings that come to those who align themselves with God. There's nothing that we can't do if we're all headed in the right direction. That's what the first 11 chapters show us. All right, next week we're going to start the book of Esther. You can read that if you want, uh, but let's get ready for Big People Church.